every man's heart one day beats its final beat. His lungs breathe their final breath. And if what that man did in his life makes the blood pulse through the body of others and makes them bleed deeper in something than larger than life, then his essence, his spirit, will be immortalized by the storytellers, by the loyalty, by the memory of those who honor him and make the running the man did live forever. everybody here we are sugar man the mooney episode 54 uh it's uh what is it may 29th 2021 we're recording on saturday a gloomy saturday night here in our area um sugar how you feeling yeah you know i'm here i'm a i'm i'm a whole another year <clears throat> older and uh Bit of a, a long week on my end, my uh, I gotta say, uh, hazy bastard of a week. If anyone uh, checked out uh, Sugar Views of Brews, uh, mm -hmm. that was a good one this week. Uh, but yes, yeah, you know one of those weeks. Um, you know, usually we uh, jump into sports uh, halfway through the week. We're feeling good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sports wise, up until Wednesday. But uh, yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, yeah, but I think the weather outside is really uh, uh, reflecting my mood right now. And I just got bad news. Um, did you not bad news? But like, did you hear about? Uh, sounds like I'm doing a, a punchline, a joke, but I'm not. Uh, raindrops keep falling on my head. Okay. The famous song, you, you know that song from Butch Cass, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, well, the singer just passed away like today or the other day, or today actually earlier in the day. And it's really weird because all day that song was in my head. And, uh, you know, my mom always, like, writes me and says, like, oh, you know, it sends me, like, Facebook things. And uh, it was a song. And I was like, yeah, that song was in my head. And she's like, well, you just passed away. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's a bummer. Ironically, on a rainy day. I know. And I, that that's weird to me. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, besides that, uh, nothing else going on today with you? Mm. Not then. Like I said, I just celebrated my 31st birthday. Um Michael, if you followed me on my Instagram, surprised me with a nice little shirt. Um, I plan to surprise him with a little something in a couple of weeks. Um, I didn't hear from like a lot of people, but the people I did hear from, I'm very appreciative. And like, you know, this is going to be my little spiel and it might be me like being a little bit, um, you know, complaining a little bit but I mean you know honestly like you know you see these pictures behind me like nobody up here has well not these pictures because like I said Mike showed you know showed up for my birthday but none of these people up here um wish me a happy birthday person who used to be on this show didn't wish me a happy birthday so you know it, it just like 
it pisses me off, not really for myself. It just pisses me off about the character of those people because it's like, what does it cost for people to just be like nice? You know what I'm saying? Like, you say happy birthday to somebody. It's their birthday. Like, you, 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 you know, but it, it is what it is. But I'm glad that Mike, um, I'm glad for Mike's gift, even though it was like a size or two too big. You know? hey, no, it was no offense, hey, man. You grow into it. I use it as you know, a what would, you, would you rather have a belly? What would you rather have it be a little bigger or a little a belly shirt? You know, uh, <laughs> you never know. You know, every everything's like a belly shirt. Look at this one right here. <laughs> well, uh, we'll see how the uh, we'll see how you do with me. Uh, oh, I don't even know if it's a shirt. But um, speaking of celebrating, you know, we celebrated you. Um, where we are in our parts of the world, it's Memorial Day weekend. Usually, this is a fun weekend where you know people go out. Uh, I know a lot of people are going out. Uh, I was watching the news earlier this morning, and it's like the most uh, flights since last year. Um, so as you know, you know, every year we we celebrate you know Memorial Day, uh, but we're going to talk about another anniversary that just passed this week. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, the murder of George Floyd. Chuck? Yeah, I mean, um, it's sad because you know people are making George Floyd out to be a, a martyr instead of like you know a, a guy who was basically just going to the store and should be here with the rest of us today. We saw his daughter at the White House as well as a lot of other people, including <laughs> including little baby. I was I was a little shocked to see little baby there, but I, I I looked at it this way. I was like, yo, like if little baby is out here, he's you know uh, you know famous rapper and stuff like that. If you know he's one of these people that's you know uses his platform to help push for um, changes and reform and like policing as well as. Um, focusing you know helping bring some focus to like a lot of racial discrimination and inherited inherent biases towards um black people specifically black men but not limited to black men we've seen black women like Breonna Taylor um Sandra Bland um just essentially um African-American people being um whose lives aren't being valued and being like a black person and living in this world. Like I said, if you ever want to watch, watch my story time, where I talk about my interactions with the police, like all of these like hit home. And I, like I said, a lot of these are like survival stories, but again, like I say, it's, um, <clears throat> it's kind of sad that people are making them out to be like a martyr and making it seem like he sacrificed his life, I think it needs to be highlighted more that this was just a regular old guy that was going through the motions of his life. And sadly for him, he ran into probably one of the most, if probably one of the most vile human beings in the world in a Derek Chauvin, because I think a, a lot of people, they, they knelt for the nine minutes and 29 seconds that Chauvin knelt on George Floyd's neck. And it's a lot of people that have done it for the whole nine minutes and 
29 seconds and once you get up like you're you're like aching um you're uncomfortable so if you think about it like Derek Chauvin was basically putting himself through physical pain in order to restrict George Floyd's breathing but we'll see how the um sentencing goes because that's probably coming up pretty soon I think they said in June so you know we'll we'll be looking out for that in the the next couple weeks right and the other officers or former officers are in August um which has a lot to do with his sentencing. Uh, yeah, so we're going to get into the George Floyd and, like you said, uh, making him out to be a martyr. But how do we recognize it? You mentioned many other names of other victims. So we'll talk about that in this, later on, about how do we remember it in what way. Um, because it's, it's important to remember things. Like today is actually another anniversary. It's the Tulsa riot anniversary, 100 years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, there's, a, there's still people, there's actually someone alive from then and it's over a hundred, you know, it's a hundred years ago. Uh, so it's still very much part of our, it's our history, but it's also our present too. So uh, we'll see how we should uh, remember someone like George Floyd in the future. That's going to be coming up. Uh, also, you know, if you guys have been listening, we've been talking about the A&E WWE Legends biography uh, series that's been going on since April. And uh, I didn't expect it when it aired because I have the actual uh, TV guide. I'm an old school guy. I have the TV guide. And it wasn't supposed to be the Ultimate Warrior, but the the A&E WWE Legends aired the uh, the Warrior episode. So we're going to talk about that. And on the flip side, uh, the other very popular docuseries is Dark Side of the Ring that me and Chuck are fans of. Uh, They they also had their version of Ultimate Warrior – bio or you know like a docu-series episode on that aired on thursday and we're going to get into you know why they flipped it in my opinion on why uh they aired it you know before the dark side because ultimate warrior aka jim helwig was a very controversial figure in the world of pro wrestling and it actually expanded out into uh you know more of a political realm too so we're going to get into that also and um yeah, so that might be a, uh, a longer one because we're going to talk about both episodes. And also, of course, you know, when you're listening, me and Chug love talking about sports. Um, anything else going on with sports this week that you want to jump into? Because Sunday, uh, we recorded last week, uh, Saturday. So the next day we had game one. It was the first, uh, you know, first playoff game at the Garden. And all had it was a, it was a double whammy, too, because we didn't really have that many people in the garden since you know the pandemic started so it was just as kind of a euphoric not euphoric but it was just kind of like a of release as a fan in game one uh it was a tight game at the end and the knicks uh lost but then we had wednesday and shook wednesday night was a fun night mm-hmm. we can take yeah definitely was um <clears throat> yeah against the hawks first game trey young um Hit a game winner at the end, and I kind of like took the excitement out of the arena. It was amped up. I think like the players were kind of like tentative on the next side. Um, Randall and RJ they didn't get off to like a great start. Um, game two they also didn't play like particularly well, and of course. Coming into yesterday, um, which was Friday, game three, they played abysmal. Um, 
they were four for 24 combined from the floor. The Knicks actually had like 30 more free throws on the Hawks, but the Hawks were simply making their shots. Um, in the second half of game two, because in the first half, we started off with Alfred Payton, and it usually is that Alfred Payton starts off, he usually gives off like a negative couple, you know, if you're into plus minus and stuff like that, he gives off a negative um, couple minutes on the floor. So we were kind of expecting more of the same in the second half of game two, but Thibodeau um, switched it up. Had Derrick Rose come in and start, and it kind of, you know, propelled us into winning game two. So in game three, of course, you know, we were kind of nervous. We didn't see the the starting lineup until like an hour before the game. And Derrick Rose started, and Derrick Rose had like a a sensational game. But unfortunately, Derrick Rose was the only person that had a good game because the rest of the team, like nobody else on the team had two, more than two makes from the field during the game. But the Hawks, they were hitting everything. Um, but I'm still, I'm still optimistic for tomorrow's game. You know, you got to remember, it's not a five-game series. It's a seven-game series. So there's at least two more opportunities for the Knicks to right the ship. And if they win tomorrow in game four, um, Wednesday, game five is at the Garden. Um, I think if you have a nice bounce back win, that would, you know, propel the fans to do better. One of the stories this morning, um, insult to injury on the game was Alfred Payton's, Alfred Payton's uh, mother sent out a tweet with the starting lineup with, you know, her son not in it, but Derrick Rose in it saying, how did that work out for you? And it was just like astounding to me because it's like, you do realize, like, your son, like, Alfred Payton has had 28 points over the last 10 games. Derrick Rose last night had 30 points. So he's outscored her son in one game alone. And her son has been, like, you know, very non, like, his, 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 vibe and like body language on the court has been like very nonchalant and very you know you know apathetic so it's like I I don't understand like her point and I don't understand how like why would you be rooting for your son's team to do bad like it doesn't it it, it doesn't make sense to me it's like I don't like I, I tweeted out I was like you know like if my mother was like if I was a basketball player and I was playing like shit, my mom would also be with the fans saying I'm playing like shit because she knows I can do better. But if I'm playing like shit, she's not gonna sugarcoat it and you know make it seem like it's something that's not. I always tell people I'm like my mom always told me like if you go to jail or you get arrested for anything, you commit any crimes, like don't look for me to like come and bail you out or visit you in jail. Like you're gonna stay there. And you know what that did for me, Mike? You haven't been into jail. Exactly. Kept my ass out of trouble because, you know, uh, but but I'm optimistic for tomorrow. I don't think like, like Randall, he's the first game. The Hawks did a good job in not getting him the looks that he usually gets. Mm. But in game two and game three, he was getting the looks, but he's not making the shots. RJ is getting a lot of looks and not making the shots. 
Uh, and, and to me, this is the way I feel about it. If you're in the playoffs and your two best players are not playing well, you're not a playoff team. You're a lottery team in the playoffs. That just happens to be in a playoff. So those guys really need to step it up because the Knicks are, have all, like, these, these 72 games have not been a fluke. I don't think, like, the three games withstanding should be um, an indictment on Randall to say, like, oh, he's overrated, he's this or he's that. You know, there's still time. He still has two more games. RJ has two more games, to have, you know, to set the world on fire and play well. They played the Hawks extremely well. We swept the season series, so they could still bounce back tomorrow. And I'm hopeful and cautiously optimistic. You just win it. You tie the series. Like, it was game three. I understand we haven't been in the playoffs for a while. I understand, like, the Hawks, they're an extremely annoying-ass team. Like, I've seen John Collins talking shit. And I'm just like, dude, like you didn't score a single point. You had more fouls than points in the last game. So I don't understand how you're talking like a big dog. You know, it's always like that type of thing. When it's a team that's annoying as shit, it, it feels even worse when you lose into them. Like it's been like that with the Yankees and the Astros. So mm. I'm, I'm hopeful for yeah. them, the next couple, uh, the, oh, the next well, I- two games, at least, at very least. Yeah, and I'm loving Derrick Rose, but uh, for the for the Hawks, yeah, you get frustrated with these type of guys. And of course, constructive way uh, is to complain on Twitter, complain on maybe if you have a podcast like us. Some people went a different route this week, and that took a lot of headlines too. Uh, what about this whole uh, fans getting ejected and banned? That's been going on in the news. Uh, so we have three franchises that had to ban uh, fans from their arenas and the NBA is going to amp it up. Well, I'll say for two of those franchises, um, it shouldn't be an indictment on all fans because every time somebody asks me about like the guy that spit on um, Trey Young, I say, I'm like, listen, like, well, you know what? That dude's an idiot. He's an asshole. For one, when it happened, like I was watching a video and, and like from the angle, like I thought, perhaps the dude was like spitting out gum and from like the angle of the video it looked like he was spitting at him mm. but then i saw like the girl i was with 50 cent because it was like 50 cent um chick who was with 50 cent his date or whatever and then julianne moore and i believe like julianne moore's husband and i saw the girl uh, you know 50s date kind of like bristle as if like spittle or something like hit her um, so that's when I knew he spit, but I, I, I figured I was like, you know, it's pretty easy for them to like get their hand, you know, to find out that dude's information, make sure he was banned, you know, easily. You just look up, you know, the section and the row and the seat and, you know, they probably have that guy's like credit card information and stuff like that located him and he's already been banned and it all happened within like. Um, the next morning. So shout out to MSG for taking care of that. Um, this incident in Philadelphia, like throwing mm-hmm. popcorn on our. First of all, it's it's terrible because the you know Russell Westbrook was going to the back with an injury. It's not like it will you know not to it, it's just not justifiable at any time, but it's especially done like the dude's like hobbled. He's walking back like 
you know, that's insult to injury. I know Philly fans have a bad rap. Um, but even then, I don't think that's like an indictment on them. Um, and then with the now, this is the difference. I think the Utah thing that definitely should be an indictment on all of their fans because over the past several years, it, oddly enough, with Russell Westbrook as one of the the, the main people that have been um, a victim of it. You know, it's a lot of racial um, slurs and racial taunts and stuff like that from their fans. And they're routinely banning fans. So that would tell you, Mike, that it's different people. And it's like an annual thing. So it's, some, it's something that, that is, like, unfortunately, is an indictment on Utah fans because, you know, every year it's something about their fans being racist and just stepping over the line. Yeah, I mean... That's a shame. I mean, here, uh, we've been enjoying this the last week, but all over the news, like we have like the usual suspects, like Max Kellerman, just like trying to take the wind out of ourselves. Like, all right. So if, even if we do win, it's kind of like, we can't really enjoy it. Cause like we have to listen to a yeah, lot of the, he was, talking heads, you know, he, he was talking about like, he was like, so let me get this straight. Like the same punishment Charles Oakley gets is the same punishment. A guy that spits on a guy. Like, first of all, like stop leaning like stop using our Charles Oakley shit as a crutch as a crutch because Nick fans we don't care like first of all Charles Oakley has been openly disrespectful towards Patrick Ewan who um between him and Melo and Bernard King have been like the best players since the 70s and Charles Oakley wouldn't would only basically be Michael Jordan's like drinking buddy and you know, casino, you know, the guy who accompanies accompanies him to like the casino every now and again, if it weren't for Patrick Ewan, and he's been openly disrespected, um, disrespectful towards Patrick Ewan. And that inf- incident happened in 2017. Damn. Like, that, happened, that happened in Derrick Rose's initial run with the Knicks. Like the starting five that night was like Carlo Quinn, Carl Carmelo Anthony, Christoph Porzingis, Derrick Rose, and like um Courtney Lee. Like all people you like is they've been far removed. Like I'm over that. Um and again, like like you say, Mike, it, it just puts a it put a damper on that night. Um I'm using I'm again gonna use my platform to um be anti Spike Lee. I feel like he's been to all of these games and he was down in Atlanta and I'm like, I, I think like Spike, I think you need to to like watch watch the game from your home theater. I know you got a big ass home theater. You can watch these games like I think it's clearly evident, but like you're not like you're you're kind of like a bad luck charm. We gotta pull out Ocean's Eleven thing if we have a TSA guy that we know or a TSA lady trying to like you know lose the bags and like hey sir can you step out and like just try to get him not to go to land or whatever and, uh, oh, the next time. Well, you know he doesn't, as we've seen, he doesn't respect <laughs> <laughs> security <laughs> and <laughs> right and policies and procedures. So All right. well, I don't know hey, if that will work out. Yeah, for us. get him lost like a uh, spinal tap in the in the uh, background in the uh, back office area. Anyway, but um. Yeah, that Charles Oakley thing. Um, I mean, I mean, my, it came up this year, and my brother like 
screen, he screenshotted my t- uh, text to him when it happened that night. I can't believe it was like four years ago, but when the, the anniversary ever came up and it was trending, um, he thought, cause I, I have like weird humor. I have weird humor. And uh, I was texting him what was going on. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, there's a fight, whatever. Charles Oakley is getting thrown out. I was saying, saying what was happening. He thought I was like making something up and he was like, Oh shit, it's actually real. So like he sent like the the screenshots to it. I was like, yeah, that, that happened. It was weird watching it because it one of those moments. It reminded me of the. Uh, it was like a national Palace. TV game. It was yeah, just, like I, I forgot where I was, but I wasn't where where it happened. It was one of them things where I, I don't know if I was at work or something, and like I just saw like Charles Oakley was trending and Jim Dolan and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm you know I'm over it. It's, mm. A lot of Knicks fans they don't they don't care anymore. Yeah, uh, I still care about Brandon Jacobs. That's the terrible segue. But Brandon Jacobs was in the news the last couple of days, right? Where he wants to come back as a defensive end. Why and, not? Uh, yeah, why not? Um, and I was going through him. Uh, he actually had a run in TNA, and he was rocking a T-shirt that I used to have. I used to have the New York Giants All In T-shirt, and I have no idea where it is now. I had that, and then I had Eli's MVP. Or Eli, whatever, you know, because they were saying that he wasn't elite. Oh, elite. And uh, I was getting good vibes during the, the day after um, the next loss. Uh, but it's funny to bring it up. I, I bring up TNA, too, because uh, Tim Tebow is back. And I keep having this um, – uh, I keep saying the potential of Tim Tebow being on your on my TV for AEW. Uh, it's probably going to come up soon. Um, I don't know. Who gives – give Jacobs a shot, you know? Why not? Because NFL is coming back up, the spring training and everything, so I'm excited for that. Um, I mean, everything else with the NBA, you know, we're, it's still exciting stuff to watch. You know, um, we'll see tomorrow. Uh, what time is the game tomorrow, man? I even look it up because I want. Uh, uh, I want to say three o'clock. I think it's uh, three o'clock. All right, yeah, because I work tomorrow, so I want to have one thing tomorrow that I can kick back and watch. Hopefully, we uh, turn it around. Um, Hopefully the rest of the Knicks show up to Atlanta and uh, we have some more games to watch. And next time, this time next week, oh, we'll actually have, uh, one o'clock, one o'clock tomorrow. Oh shit. Now I'm going to miss it. All right. So I need the update. So I could, I could drink during the game. Um, I need, I need the tweets. I need the tweets. I'll follow through the tweets. Oddly enough. I don't know if it is because like my birthday is usually like the the week before Memorial Day, if Memorial Day falls on the 31st. Um, but for some reason, I, I swear, if you looked it up, like, May 24th, like, I swear, like, since 2004, like, the Yankees have played only, like, eight times on my birthday. Um, of course, one of them I, I said before, like, I went to Bernie Williams' um, jersey number retirement. Um, so they were off. So, which was great because after the Knicks lost game one, you know, I needed a little breather and, you know, um, enjoy my birthday and I'll have to be miserable. But the Toronto Blue Jays came to town and I don't know what's going on, but like the Yankees, they, they're not scoring runs anymore. And the first two games, so they, they ended up, Losing the first game, and then the second game was rained out. So they had a doubleheader on Thursday. And 
was it Thursday or Wednesday? Thursday. And they've gone to Detroit and they lost last night on in a walk-off fashion. The two runs I think they scored were both like off of like errors and stuff like that. And then today they were abysmal. I'm so glad because I started taking like um this um I, I, for some reason I, I got like burned out in the middle of the day and like I fell asleep. So I went I fell asleep like during like the second or third inning and then woke up at like like in the 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 bottom of the eighth and the Yankees lost that game too and Detroit is you know penciled in to be one of the worst teams in the league and Tampa and Boston look like they're not going anywhere so I don't know what's going on with the Yankees man I gotta be honest with you I didn't watch any games this week uh it was wasn't a, missing monster there, there's this guy we talked to uh well I I still talk to him uh and uh I usually have to bullshit about the Yankees if I if I didn't watch it I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I work. And then this week I go straight up and go, hey, man, I, I don't watch the Yankees. Uh, I'm, I'm burnt out, uh, you know, and he's like, ah, me too. I didn't watch it either. And I'm like, all right. But, like, uh, there was a good – good the first two weeks of May, I was, like, fucking up on all the stats and everything with Yankees. But um, I think my schedule – because uh, I've been, like, fucked up schedule. I've been missing the games. And I've been waking up and the game is over. So Yeah. Um, well, Long the, the offense is crap. And there's more injuries. Corey Kluber throws a no hitter, and right. surprise, right after that, he's out. I know that's 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 the highs to highs and lows to lows. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's usually applied to the Giants. And but... I, well, I'm glad you 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 said that because that's where I was going with it. I was thinking, I'm like, you know, I don't know if it's because like the Yankees. I mean, the the Knicks had this like surprisingly great year. Um. And they're in the playoffs hosting, you know, they're the fourth seed, they're hosting playoff games and stuff like that. So they're, they're really good. And I don't know if it, it got me like real apathetic about the Yankees because I was thinking when all the injuries came out with Kluber and now Voight, he got injured. And um, DJ LeMayhew, he's mm. not, you know, hitting like DJ LeMayhew has been hitting, you know, the last two years. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, like, I'm, thank God, like, the Knicks are, like, in the playoffs because, like, you know, in a normal Yankee season, I would probably be, like, panicking. Or, I mean, there's, like, some, re- some, some reason to panic, but I'm just not, like, as stressed out about it because I'm just, like, my expectations with the Yankees are, like, so tempered. And that's why I said, like, when you said highest or lowest, lowest or lowest, I don't know, you usually say that about the Giants. I was like, I think, like, the Yankees have gotten into that zone where the Giants are usually for me, where it's just like, you know, that's my team, but I'm not too, like, I'm, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm not, like, you know, you know, losing sleep over them like, you know, I normally do. I mean, to be honest with you, like, like with the Yankees' offense – like, we've been spoiled. It's not to say that, I, like, they're missing anything. It's just the guys they have are not, like, hitting. Um, But we have had years, and it, this, this is when I have to look at the whole thing through a, a full scope. We've had years where our offense have, has been, like, fantastic. And then 
our pitching hasn't, you know, hadn't lived up to the the hitting, you know, because it's like, you know, uh, older, you know, um, you know, now more of a finessing CC Sabathia, um, Severino's injured, Tanaka been inconsistent, all of the, you know, the pitching staff hadn't lived up to the lineup. So now it's the opposite side where the pitching is actually, you know, overperforming and to say the offense is underperforming is a bit of a understatement and it all boils down to like the whole team. Like I kind of knew like the Yankees weren't going to be like, you know, world beaters when like in the off season, they re-signed DJ LeMayu and were like patting themselves on the back as if like they just re-signed like 2001 Barry Bonds. You know, like DJ LeMayu is great, but he he he's he's a he's a hitter. He hits for average. He gets on base, and if like he's not getting um, and if he's not getting knocked in, it's it's not a you know it's not like a useful you know tool. And even today, he's not doing as well. He's batting in like the two sixties, and you know it's, it's just insane because it's starting to feel like the window for us to like you know compete. It's starting to like really close, like not even just close, but it's starting to like slam shut because I'm thinking going back to like 2017 and another little like parallel to the Knicks. I'm just like, you know, in 2017, nobody really expected the Yankees to like compete and they got within one game of winning, of winning the American League. Same way like the Knicks, nobody really expected them to compete this year. And they were a top four team in the Eastern Conference. So you're more looking towards, you know, that year you're satisfied, whatever happens. And you're looking towards the future. So I'm going back to 2017. I'm thinking, like, I figured, like, at this point in 2021, we'd have at best won a few World Series. And at worst, at least won a pennant or two. And neither happened. And... You know, silly me, because you still got to remember, like, you have a frugal Ivy League um, brat running your team um, as as the team owner saying, like, you don't need to have this and that, uh, you know, to win. When it, you don't need to spend X amount of money to win a championship. And they've been cutting payroll and trying to, like, avoid the luxury tax. Like, I'm thinking, like, our last four years should have been something, like, the Dodgers, but the difference is the Dodgers, they're like, you know, we play in LA and we're already invested so much into this team. We have to win now. So let's keep adding to it. Let's keep adding to it. Whereas like the Yankees is just like, yeah, well, we spent 200, like our payroll is still high. Um, so you can't say we didn't we we don't spend money, but it's like you're not like you're you're the Yankees, like you know nothing should be handicapping. You shouldn't be handicapping yourself. Like luxury tax, luxury tax to, to me, but uh, it is what it is. We talked about that uh, I think a few episodes ago, and I what I said was. He's like trying to get cute with it. Where like, hey, hey, guess what? Yeah, we won the World Series, but we we even won it without spending a lot. Like he's trying to get like, um, you know. Why? What's the point? Um, 
And also, I agree with you with the the window closing for an, for the era. But uh, just like every other major sport now, they're really they've been tweaking the postseason. So uh, you know now the Yankees could be out of it and then get a, get some get get a run going at the end and then get one of those with that new uh, you know they got that the wild card style thing going on. So you have more opportunities to get into the postseason, like we saw with the uh, with the NBA. So it's not over. It's not over till it's over. Mm-hmm. The quote. <laughs> um. I, you know, I just, I, I, I just go on like, you know, um, patterns and stuff like that. And there's nothing over the last four years where I'm just like, eh, you know, I, I, I can't expect like too, too much. Um, yeah. you know, it's like last year, like they, they needed help in the bullpen and they did nothing in, I understand like the season was short and, you know, perhaps like other teams were going to charge like a high price to, to acquire like some relief pitching or anything that the Yankees needed. But I mean, it's you, you compound now with the fact that over the last few trade deadlines, they or in the past few off seasons where it's like they, they plant their flag on this one thing and just hope like, you know, that, that puts them over and you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, and I'm pretty sure 2021 is, you know, it, it, it's not going to, they're not going to get over. I hope they do. I hope I get proved wrong, but, you know. The time frame, time frame, imagine like being like a freshman in high school and then now you're in college and like the, your team still hasn't won. If you, if you put it like that, that's a long, you know, that's a long time. That's a long chunk of time that you're supposed to be winning. Um, it's embarrassing. Like I, I mean, like to to be honest with you, you know, both of us weren't alive, but I'd assume, like, what we're feeling right now is probably how a lot of people, like, how like the 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 aura of the Yankees is probably like starting to go away for people. They haven't been in the World Series in forever long. Yeah, they've been in the playoffs and stuff like that, but they haven't won anything. Like we're essentially like there's like the Dodgers and the Astros and then there's like the Minnesota Twins and we're like somewhere in between like that. Well, we always have the brand though that we're always relevant in that sense. Like in the early nineties, uh the Mets were, you know, they were eighty six and you know, they had that run. They were still making it to at least like the National League uh championships like in the early nineties. So like New York was like really pro met and the Yankees were more like, you know, you had the Donnie baseball and all that. And they were making these deals just to get like, you know, and then, you know, we got like a Bernie Williams and the big deal was like Paul O'Neill. Um, so I think we're not in that era because we still have like this potential because the Yankees uh, are kind of like, we're getting there. <laughs> well, I, I would, Hey, you know what? These guys want... ain't getting any younger and there ain't no Derek Jeter's and, um, Bernie Williams and Jorge Posadas and Mariano Rivera's in our farm system. Like, I want, everybody yeah. was talking about David Garcia. David Garcia today, like, look at what he did against Detroit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that the, the 2010 to 2015 was like, I wanted it to be, to be like, bad. So we get to where we were supposed to be in 2017, yeah, 2018. Well, but now we're wasting the opportunity and uh, that, that pretty much is just where we're at right no, now. No, I never, I never want us to be bad. I think that's the beauty of it. They've, you know, 
transition from like the Derrigator and A-Rods and Teixeiras to like the Judge and the Gary and the Glabers, you know, seamlessly where, you know, they don't have to lose like 90 or 100 games or no, go yeah. through this like the worst season they had was 84 wins, but the thing about that is it should be that much easier for you to add stuff to it. Like the Dodgers, like, I don't know when their last like losing season was, but they keep adding people. Like they've had Zach Greinke. They turned around and signed Trevor Bauer. Like, I don't want Trevor Bauer on my team, but mm. you know, they don't stop. Whereas like the Yankees, it's just like, you know, whatever's within means. And you're the New York Yankees. It should never be like that. If George were alive, Oh man, I I had to keep, you know people keep going. It, it's it's sad, but we have to keep going back to our refrain. Refrain like if George Steinbrenner was alive and you're telling him like we're cutting payroll. Okay, cool. Like did we win? Did we go to a World Series last year? Did we win the World Series last year? No. Well, then why the hell are we cutting payroll? That's that's to me what George Steinbrenner would be saying. But uh, it's we'll see. It's, We'll see. It's Memorial Day um, weekend. You know, still got a whole another four months to see what they can do. And then October, hope, you know, Lord willing, we get there. Okay. So the Ultimate Warrior, AKA Jim Helwig. Um, when I was a kid, just obligatorily huge fan, uh, I sent you the picture. You showed a picture of me. That's from way past. He was not in the DevF anymore. I don't know why I was dressed like him. It had to be like 94, 95, but mm-hmm. I was wearing like a hand, hand-me-down thing. Um, but of course, my introduction into pro wrestling, renting the va- videotapes, it was all early 90s WWF. Uh, so Ultimate Warrior was a big deal. Um, so of course, they were going to have an episode on the Ultimate Warrior for the WWE Legends uh, in a, any docuseries. So... They aired the episode last week, last Sunday, and when we started this whole marathon of us watching all these Zaki series, uh, it was actually slated for uh, next week. It was going to air May third. No, yeah, it was going to air tomorrow night, mm-hmm. uh, May thirtieth. And we even mentioned if you go back, we were like, ah, oh, that's going to be a big weekend, Memorial weekend. Dark Side has theirs on Thursdays, on Thursday, and then their A and E was going to have theirs three days later. And I was like, oh, look, write that in your calendar, remember. So then last week, Shuggy, like, oh, I'm going to uh, reluctantly watch or begrudgingly watch. And I was like, watch what? Mick Foley? Then I saw it was a Warrior. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even realize it was the Warrior episode. Um, so I'm like, why Why would they do that? Okay, so Jim Helwig, Ultimate Warrior, very uh, polarizing figure. Um the rumors were that the dark side episode was going to be very uh, similar to if people are familiar with a document, the DVD that came out in 2005 called the self-destruction of ultimate warrior. Should you remember that? Right. Yeah. I actually like ultimate warrior was well before my time. I didn't, I even know he existed until that DVD came out like what in 2005 and then even then, I wasn't really, like, too, too um, knowledgeable of him. But then, you know, by the time, you know, um, the later 
part of 2000, you know, the 2000s into him returning for being, you know, returning to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then unfortunately, not too long after that, passing away. You know, I was I was familiar with him then. And then obviously in the years following, I found out about, you know, other things we're going to get to later on. All right. So factually, you know, you have when you talk about someone's life, you have like the born date, death, and then you have major points in their life and career uh, if it's like a public figure. Okay, so with this, since there's two documentaries, uh, the whole point of it was how are they going to present this man? And, and in his career, how are they going to present it? And the interesting with this, the interesting point of this particular moment is that uh, the Dark Side of the Ring episode uh, relied heavily or kind of was the beginning was kind of from the point of view of uh, Jim Helwig's first wife. And then you can argue that the WWE A&E uh, docu episode uh, was with Jim Helwig's Warrior's second wife. Mm-hmm. Dana Warrior. Yeah, which like, is very, I, like yeah. I didn't really like go because I watched the AE one first and then Dark Side of the Ring because AE was on Sunday and Dark Side was Thursday, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and going off of the AE one, it made it seem like he was, they didn't really even mention him like getting married, they just mentioned him going through a divorce, so it seemed like he was only with his wife and a matter of fact like it seemed like when he was in the blade warriors with um sting that they were like single and then come to find out when you watch dark side of the ring like him and his wife were actually like married for like 10 years like they have been married from like 1982 1982 right. to like 1993 or something like that so that's a good point um all right so they do mention that he they actually do uh passingly say that he's married in uh they need one but they say uh oh jim you know jim he was going through the motions of how do i become an adult i you know i get a job i get married he was they were basically uh, uh presenting it like he just did it because that's what you're supposed to do it wasn't like he wasn't in love or anything it wasn't like anything real it was just a thing you do the the numbers to become an adult and then when they said that they were single in the when they were with uh the mid-south no, no, when they were the Freedom Fighters, whatever, they were in the, um, uh, Jeff, Jerry Jarrett's Memphis territory, I think. And um, they kind of pulled like a John Lennon where like they said he was single, but he wasn't. They were mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, let the, let the girls know that you're single, even though you're not, uh, which, you know, who maybe he lived that lifestyle anyway, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so. So, so yeah, different. We found out home, um, Ultimate yeah. Warrior had different holes and different area codes. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. But just the framing wise, let's re- let's go back to how like, you know, you have like where someone's born and then death. Uh, and then you have these the other major points. Uh, I'm assuming everyone would just know or they've seen the episode, but you have uh, him breaking into the business. The first major break is with uh, Steve Borden, a.k.a. Sting. So both docus talked about that in different ways. Then you have. So let's get into that one. So. In the A and E one, they had Sting because WWE uh, well, recorded all this shit. I, with Sting. Actually, they didn't even have Sting. If you recall, that was footage from his Hall of Fame mm, yeah, right. documentary. So they didn't even have Sting. 
Right. It was it was archival footage. It was from 2014. Yeah. So like, but they that's weird because like they didn't have Sting, they didn't have Steve Borden Sting on Dark Side, and he's been out of WWE for you know almost a year, which is weird. Like, uh, it was because it, it, it's important because the A and E one, uh, had Sting and his breakup kind of, um, well they broke up. They were tag team partners. We'll just skip ahead. They were tag team partners. Uh, there was like a money dispute with the uh, promoter, uh, Bill Watts, and Sting presented it like where he, okay, Jim said let's let's deal with the money, like let's not let's not show up, uh, let's you know let's basically I, I'll just say let's not show up and show that hey we're serious about getting paid and shit like that, but Sting got the call and he showed up anyway, and Jim felt betrayed, and. Um, so that's kind of where they say like where they drifted apart and they went their separate ways in the dark side. Um, how do they present that again? They, they didn't even really yeah, talk they, about staying. It, it kind of made it, um, it didn't even really seem like they broke up, but just like he, he went his way or he wanted, he, he, he was looking to become like a single star. And then yeah. he went to world class championship wrestling, and that's when he became Dingo Warrior. Yeah. So like both docu's talk about that, but um, so basically the theme of this is you're gonna have to watch both to get like a whole full, you know, because you had Talking Heads on the A and E one, and then yeah. Dark Side had a shitload of footage. Like they had like the actual, you know, they had like more of the footage shit. Um, all right. So at this point, you know, both documentaries are hitting his life points. You know, so at this point he's in. He's in uh, Texas. He's in world-class championship wrestling. Uh, and he's going by the Dingo Warrior. And both docus, they had the inspiration from it. They don't know. It's still kind of a mystery. Uh, the A&E one said he, he uh, someone was at a bar drunk. And they were like, hey, it's just Dingo, you know. And the other one said that one of the guys had a dog. And with dog, he said, oh, it's a Dingo. A very, you know, it's a, a Dingo is like just above a wild dog. And um, like you can domesticate it. It's like kind of like a timid wolf. So, uh, so they had that story, and they, they, they didn't even mention like why. I want to know why the hell was he uh, billed from Queens, New York, which is just funny. It's such a random thing because it's Dingo. Yeah. You know what I think it was? It was um, if you remember, like um, the Pump and Iron documentary with oh. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like. Um, I think it was Mark, Mark Colombo, who was another bo- bodybuilder, and then Lou Ferrigno. I think both of them were from Queens, so perhaps. Oh, there you go. oh wow. Wow, that's some knowledge right there. Because we didn't even bring up that uh, in the Dark Side one, right? They mentioned that he idolized Arnold Schwarzenegger. They kind of both said he idolized them in the 70s. Um, and Pumping Iron is one of the famous documentary, the launch, the launch pad, which is very important. We should actually go back and mention that because uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is – uh, he came from bodybuilding and then he got into Hollywood movies and stuff. He's not the best actor. All right. But we know who he is. We know his name. If I, if I'm typing in my phone, SC, it just goes to Schwarzenegger right away, which is bizarre. Uh, so that, that kind of is an inspiration for Jim Helwig, um, warrior. Uh, Cause he gets accused of not caring about those, you know, poor wrestling. He just wanted to be famous. He just wanted to be, people know the name, they know his face. 
And that's very much similar to Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he's not like winning an Academy Award. Uh, you're not going to say these movies are like dramatic pieces of you know, masterpieces, but he's made the most money uh, over the decades. Yeah. And I think like the consensus, you know, what you're alluding to between both was that he wasn't like the most talented wrestler not the most talented in-ring warrior but i mean like back in those days like hulk hogan wasn't even really like talented like in in, in ring either i'm against that kinda, like the persona carried them the character carried them i'm gonna get into that too uh and if i get confused with the two documentaries the main point is that there's two there's the first wife and the second wife and the talking heads besides them they're interchangeable because like there's not really a theme. Like they had one, they need one that's kind of like a father figure with Vince and then Vince at the end, he's like, uh, no. He's just like, he come completely just like ended that, right? So what's the fucking point of the documentary? You're saying that it was like his father figure. He's like, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but then the other one was more, uh, Dark Side was like, he, when he got, he had a certain point in his life and then he changed from, literally changed from like Hellbake to Warrior and it had nothing to do with just a legal piece of paper it was like his psychic change and he turned into this different person so that's kind of how i saw that but let me go back to this queens new york thing that's interesting i might have to steal that um and claim that i found that information out um because that's that's good to know that's probably the reason why because hey where you want to be from uh this documentary used to watch oh queens why not uh but he looked the dude looked like a guy who'd be like did you just fucking touch my camaro my IROC, you know, because he had a little short mustache. He looked like a cop, like an off-duty cop, you know, or, uh, you know, like a dude from, like, in the 80s in Long Island. Anyway, cue the picture of him. All right, so he's in WCCW. Um, that was actually a really big, popular promotion. We talked about it a few weeks ago with uh, the Von Erichs uh, during the Stone Cold mm-hmm. one. That so, was Freebirds, yeah, so, everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they had Erics. a peak. They had a ceiling around that time. Obviously, like every other territory – you had WWF, and then you had uh, Jim Crockett slash NWA. They both were, like, uh, buying up territories or working with them. They both were doing it. So um, so at that point, WCCW kind of uh, hit, a, hit, a, hit a plateau. They started working with a, another territory, the same one that Hellwig was with before. So we're going to go from there. It's the same thing. It was the Memphis territory. So – the next spot up is uh, WWF. Sting, his other partner, he eventually went to NWA, the other big, you know, titan that will be a big part of the 90s. So in New York and WWF, um, you know, they, they say like in um, the WWE, the A&E one, um, they were more like uh, kind to him. Uh, you had you didn't have Triple H, you didn't have Stephen McMahon, but you had Shane McMahon, which was kind of cool. You had he was kind of like the the McMahon present. He was hyping him up, uh, the man behind the makeup, you know, um, saying they didn't really shit on him completely, saying that he was like hurting people. Uh, like the Dark Side one, it was kind of a rehash of the 2005 documentary where um, you had like Jim Ross, you had uh, Jake the Snake. Uh, who else did you have? You had him, they had him, they had those guys talking about Hellwig in the late 80s, how he was hurting people and not caring, uh, disrespectful to like mm-hmm. the. F- and then the Jake, the Jake the Snake, him telling, so apparently in the Dark Side of the Ring uh, um, version of it, Jake the Snake said, you know, Vince came to him and was like, all right, you're going to work with Warrior and 
he's going to pass the belt on to you and you're going to have this title run. And as we know, like Jake, the, Jake, the snake, as famous of a wrestler as he was, he never got a, you know, championship run. So he was really excited to um, finally get this opportunity. And on the unfortunate part of it for him was he would have to have this opportunity, you know, and working with Ultimate Warrior and Ultimate Warrior basically told him, like, I don't give, he was like, I don't care about you. I don't care what you do. Da, 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 da. Um, I don't care about your family. I don't care if you eat. You don't paraphrase him, but it was a, a whole long thing. And then there was a certain situation with a contract. Right. Uh, but Jake the Snake, well, I'll get into that again. I just, there's one thing that, because again, there's a lot of notes. There's two, there's two hour and a half, there's three hours of this shit we could talk about, two hours or whatever. And just the whole history of the, of the wrestling thing. So I'm jumping around here and I apologize, but I forgot one moment. Okay. So in the A&E one, um, it's the A&E one. Uh, let me see. No, yeah, in the A and E one, they they start off with him saying he was insecure as a kid and shit like that. You know, fought the main thing. The father walked out on them. That's a big thing in the A and E one. Yeah, right. that's true as well. I they com- said his father would come to like the the town the or whatever they was living in and would go to like football games and go to bars and stuff like that, but wouldn't see his kids. Uh, yeah, uh, that was rough. So that's a major part of the story that they're telling about him and. Um, they actually both talk about that. They're both documentaries, but the way they style, style, style wise, they presented at different moments in the thing. But so that's important um, because they're saying he's insecure. He gets the body, you know, he, look, he likes how he looks. So uh, I wrote this down. I forgot to mention it. So in 87, I believe, or like in 86, 87, when he's a uh, jacked up pro wrestler making a lot of money, uh, he goes back to his hometown in Oklahoma and he goes to his high school reunion. And I scroll down. I am a golden god. I am the golden god. I picture like a, like a very much uh, Dennis Reynolds going back to his high school and just like, I want, I want, you know, like getting that whole, I did this for, you know, like that whole idea of like, you know, you want to go back to your hometown and um, hey, I, 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 made, I made something of myself. Like, look at me, you know. No. Uh, well, the one thing in that part I, I could relate to is when they said it was like if you were like cool with him in high school mm. and I gave him the time of day in high school, like he would hang out with you and drink champagne with you and stuff like that. But like if you treated him like shit in high school, like you were not getting anywhere close to Ultimate Warrior. So yeah, so what just so just, then... just for those who um <laughs> aren't on the Sugar Me the Mooney train, just you know, food for uh, thought. Yeah, so then, so when you bring up Jake the Snake saying the whole thing, I've heard that before. That was in a documentary where he's like, Mr. Warrior, I would like to talk. And then he like cut him down. Um, you, can al- you can also read into it like where Warrior cared uh, about his like inner circle. So like he's like, all right, this is a big deal. Uh, Jake the Snake, don't fuck it up. Because, you know, Jake the Snake is notorious, you know, for a certain behavior. Uh, I mean, can you totally blame the guy to be like, all right, this is a serious thing. And who knows if this is actually how it came out, but, uh, but who knows? I know later on they made amends, so maybe it did happen. Uh, but yeah, so the, another major uh, point of his career, which obviously both documentaries had to talk about, uh, was the year 1990. Okay, so Ultimate Warrior is uh, rising and rising and rising uh, by people that were fans back then. 
who are probably like in their like you know eight, nine, ten, eleven. Uh, I've heard a lot of them say that by '89 they were they were off the Hulk Hogan uh, train, and they were tired of him, and they were more into this the IC guy, the one right below Hulk Hogan, which would have been, have been Ultimate Warrior, and they decided for whatever reasons to uh, give Ultimate Warrior. Hulk Hogan spot. Uh, they had the faith when in... he was starting to do movies and stuff. Hogan. Yeah. All right. So one, I had written down uh, that of course he started doing No Holds Barred Hulk Hogan in '89. Uh, it came out in '89. His next movie would have came out in '91. So he was working on a movie, of course. But um, but they still had the faith in this character Warrior to be at least a not just a placeholder, but like someone that they can still make money on. Like Hulk Hogan, he needs to come back here and it's not like he's like oh anyone can take this he's like i want to make sure when i get back here my checks are still clearing you know so he needs someone that he can have faith in so it was just it was warrior um so both documentaries handle this differently um let me just see what what did you think wrestlemania 6 you've seen it right Mm -hmm. that was a big that's um one of my favorites so by 1990 in the a and e documentary wwe uh legends we have uh jim helwig's ultimate warrior second wife describing like like oh my god they gave this man after five years in the business you know uh he went from beginning to this moment like in in such a short time like the quickest of anyone um which is you know very true like even the dark side one jim Cornette opens up the show with saying how he went from beginnings to the pinnacle quickest you know, if anyone in that short amount of time that lasted for that moment. Uh, I mean, but Hulk Hogan, um, he beat Iron Sheik in February 84 and he started in like late 77. That's like, you know, six and a half, seven years and he's five years. So it was kind of overblown, but that was just my critique on that. Uh, I, but think yeah, 19... the, I think it's because like with Hulk Hogan, it's like 1977 to like, 1993, where I was like, Ultimate Warrior, you know, was 1987 mm. to like 1992. So yeah, it yeah. seems like it was all in like a vacuum. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so in the A&E one, this was like the great moment where like, wow, he finally did it. In the dark side uh, with Jim Helwig's first wife, uh, Sherry, I believe. Um, this was the moment where it changed. This is like the, the the flip where he got both belts. You know, he was on the top of his top of his game in his career and his profession. And she says that uh, a few months later, Jim Hellwig left and Ultimate Warrior came home. And like she started crying. Like, uh, and then you find out that um, in the next year, uh, the marriage would dissolve. Um, even though it was like his like highest point in his career, um, like his personal life was you know, crumbling. And then they started saying, um, it's hard to like to talk about two different documentaries at the same time, but uh, at this point, they they both were saying that this 1990 moment into 1991 was a huge shift in his life and career. Um, obviously, Dark Side one, it's from the kind of the point of view of the first wife and that's ending. So it's going to be a more uh, somber and like, like negative tone. Uh, in the A and E one, you have Dana Warrior, uh, but she she meets him after this moment, so it's kind of like 
Uh, yeah, like I thought when when in the dark side of the ring when his um first wife was you know yeah like I called and this woman I had this woman in like the background I thought it was gonna be like oh like it was um his second wife or eventually his second wife but in reality it was like some other chick and then like she acknowledged like she you know he met his second wife like long after they had already like divorced and they met they they reacquainted with each other later on as friends yeah but that, so like in the dark side you find out that um they were all at the gym together the warrior gym which was interesting you know like uh in the a and e one you find out that like in i guess 94 when warrior goes out to be his own brand and his own uh you know his own entity of his own um he met a woman did she come off kind of like a a a fan fanish you know like oh my god like did she come off like she was just like like a super fan who met him and like you know did you what's your vibe did you get from dana warrior i don't want to talk ill of someone who you know of course we're going to talk about their daughter his daughters and stuff but what's your impression of dana dana warrior Mm, well for one i don't want to jump too far ahead but i think dark side of ring kind of confirm something I, I suspected in watching the A&E biography, which is that Dana was, she she must have been the one that brought the, the right wing mm. um, and all the negativity and the um, bigoted stuff that comes along with it into his life because she kind of like painted it as yeah, like, let's just say in this house, you know, in our house, like, right-wing media became, you know, became popular, and, you know, he gravitated towards Rush Limbaugh because he reminded him of a wrestler, and I think that was the one way you could have, like, you know, glossed over it. Like, oh, he was into, like, the character of it and not really, like, the the content of it, when in reality he probably was into both. Yeah, so the A and E one, uh, we have the pinnacle moment where he wins the belt. Then ninety one, ninety two, uh, things get shaky. Um, so they talked about an A and E one where uh, WWF, Vince McMahon, Titan Sports were uh, in court uh, against the U.S. government over steroids, and uh, Ultimate Warrior was one of the guys who was made an example of. Um, in late 92, him and British Bulldog, other guys like Warlord, uh, the big, big dudes, uh, they separated, the WF separated from them uh, for a time being. And um, of course, then you have like, you know, like Shawn Michaels and everything like that, getting more prominent. Uh, so they talked about the whole, the whole moment where Warrior, uh, he testified, uh, Hulk Hogan testified, all these guys testified. Dark Side didn't even mention it. They went from 90 and they completely skipped over it. But because uh, they did that probably because there's a whole episode dedicated to the steroid trial coming up in a couple of weeks or maybe later in the year. So they didn't want to like just, you know, they're going to focus a whole episode on it. They're not going to talk about it on this, which was kind of weird because it, it wasn't very important in the guy's the man's life and career. Uh, but anyway, so you have the separation from Vince McMahon and WWF uh, and that's where he changed his name, the warrior. Uh, and then that's the moment where 
Ultimate Warrior, Warrior starts uh, going into business for himself, like literally trying to turn his his image into a, a franchise. Like a, you know, he starts doing gyms. Uh, later on, you find out he wants to do like you know comic books and just be like a some some type of uh, public figure for like children and just people in general to like, motivate them. And you know, late nineties. Uh, he comes back to wrestling. He tries to do it in the in the world of pro- professional wrestling. Doesn't work out. So the next avenue he does this in is with public speaking with uh, colleges and stuff. And that's where we talk about uh, how he became this conservative mouthpiece. I remember this very vividly back in the 2000s. Uh, in the A&E one, Dana Warrior goes, well, he, he felt like, you know, rejected from the world of professional wrestling. You know, everyone... He felt insecure, alienated from all the other guys. He needed a new brotherhood. He, she, he, she says that, you know, he found a new brotherhood, you know, instead of wrestling, it was this conservative world, which is, you know, this, these words kind of make me uncomfortable. But um, so then he got into the Rush Limbaugh type, you know, provocateur. They show the clips from Yukon. You remember that when that happened? This was like 15 years ago. I remember this on like, uh, YouTube was new, and I, I was seeing all this stuff. I only found out about our stuff like maybe a year ago because I saw it on like cracked.com, like in an article. Yeah, but um, you know, he, he had a match in 2007, his like a retirement match. So, uh, I yeah, I can't believe it was 15 years ago, but it, it was that long. Um, but you know, you can look up the the incidents, uh, the one particular is the Yukon one, um. You know, so they had like the footage in the A&E one from behind the scenes because uh, obviously Dana Warrior was with him at that point. And they had everything from her archive. Um, you know, uh, what did you think? What did you get from that? Because it's weird seeing, uh, I mean, and we talk about with Hulk Hogan where like you live long enough to be, you know, the hero and then, you know, or you live long enough to be the villain, you know, that whole, uh, that whole saying. Um but, you know, I remember seeing this being, oh, what, like an asshole. Uh, it's weird seeing, like, people you grew up on. But I, I've grown to have the ability to separate that, like, character from the, the person. Um, but any thoughts on the, the conservative uh, 2000s? Uh, those kind of marred uh, any chance he had of really, uh, you know, coming back. I mean, like, you know, it was a lot of, like, homophobic stuff, a lot of Islamist, Islamophobic stuff, a lot of racist stuff that he was saying. Um, and he was going around doing, like, you know, public speaking. And, you know, this is before, like, Trump era. So um, it, it was a lot of, like, just, all right, this is, like, the other side. Um, and that's what he chose chose to be on. And I don't know. He he passed away in 2014, so I don't know if he ever. Um, it's easy for you know his wife and kids or whoever's like supportive of him to kind of like gloss over that and be like, oh well, you know, he was just, you know, that's that's you know that that's just like you know a dark time in his life, blah 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 blah. Um, but I don't know if he ever made any men's you know, amends to that. I don't know. You you could probably fill me in or not. He's, again, uh, this whole, we're balancing two different documentaries and we're balancing a guy named Jim Helwig and, a, and an ultimate warrior. Uh, a lot of stuff is contradictory. 
Uh, he'll say one thing and then then doing something else. And that's kind of like the theme for this. It's like this two, you know, dynamic. Um, yeah, but since the A&E one had the WWE uh, footage, they had the behind the scenes from the, because uh, when he had that UConn incident, uh, they were also in talks to have also where come back and be in a video game. I remember it was like one of the SmackDowns. He was in the game. Uh, I saw like in the magazines back then, or even like GamePro.com, whatever the hell it is, like uh, IGN.com. They had Ultimate Warrior in the game. They had Don. He was going to be like the legend in like 2004, 2005. And then they pulled it because they couldn't come to terms on something. And then that's when, instead of making the uh, tribute DVD of the Ultimate Warrior, uh, they ended up making the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. And the A&E one, again, like I love, I love the outtakes. Uh, I could have, this could have been an hour and a half of outtakes and I would have been happy because you had like Mean Gene, like, wow, Vince wants us to be a shoot, right? He wants me to really like give it to him, right? Mm -hmm. And then you had uh, uh, the best shot. One of the best shots of the documentary was the opening where uh, uh, Ultimate Warrior is like doing a promo and he's like, oh shit. Like he like, he like, and Vince is like, was that the A&E one or was that the dark side? No, it was A&E. A&E. Yeah, of course, because again, I watch these back to back, so uh, I didn't have the separation of days. Uh, so Vince is like, remember, you know, just hey, get the intensity. I love that backstage stuff. And obviously, someone recently has been going through this. So please just someone leak it, bring a USB with you. Just leak this stuff. I want to see these weird uh, um, outtakes. Um, so you had that moment where Vince is producing Warrior. Uh, and then later on, I think we skipped over. I, for, I forgot to bring this up. The apology video. We're jumping around here. I know that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I needed to do a promo like Warrior and do some uh, get hyped up for this. But that apology video. Apparently that you know that was a big deal. Do you remember that the apology video that uh, Vince had him do? Apparently he insulted uh, a family, a business partner's son. Mm -hmm. I remember that part in the A and E. I was so, on the dark side. Yeah. So in the A and E, so. that was uh, that moment actually made me like feel like oh man like. You know, I like I I like seeing that side of the behind the scenes of uh, Jim Helwig. Like he was just like a normal guy and stuff. Uh, I like seeing that uh, the footage was. And then Vince is like, "Come on, man! It's just a damn work. Come on, it's a work." You know, that, I pulling back the curtain is that I like seeing that. Um, you didn't get that on the dark side when you just kind of seen. Um, I don't know. It's it, I I don't know. This is a weird. Both documentaries, of course, there's two of them. But they both also seemed like they were cut in half. Uh, like they were kind of all over the place too, I thought, because you had the theme in the any one about the father figure uh, and like the brotherhood or the fraternity uh, alienating him or not working out. And that's where he became like more anxious and kind of more um, isolated, like exiled from like that world where he didn't know where else to go. So he came to this conservative forum. Um, but then, then they say it didn't have to do with him being with Vince. I don't know. Okay, so with the dark side one, um, of course, it was more about the first wife. So, you know, this kind of gets the same story, but they they don't really touch about the same things. And then you get to uh, after the uh, conservative, the Yukon stuff, the dark side actually talked about um, his truth injections. All right, I'll talk about the, the his shoot interviews he did in like, circa 2010 i love this stuff when it came out these were great like the one against hulk hogan yeah because yeah, he was a hype it was a hype video and i this 
I'm always I for Hulk Hogan slander. Like even yeah. before I knew he was a racist, I was like, I'm, I'm for it. I used to watch them all world style hip hop. So these came out like a year before the whole uh, those radio things came out with. Uh, you think you think about his daughter? Like, you think my I'll let my daughter? Like, that, I think that was like 2011. I think um, to 2010. No, 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 that was like no, no. It was like it they, it came out in 2011, and then it resurfaced when he was with Tough Enough in 2015. But anyway, so like the Warrior things, I can separate it because I used to see it as like a hype video where he's like, "Come on, man!" Like, because it, it came out in 2011, 2012. Uh, I had like you know a lot of shit was going on, and I was started like working out and stuff. And I can separate the whole like completely fu- fundamental like and racist and the whole like the queering thing. I can separate that and just pretend that it was like this character, the Warrior, making these videos where he's like dropping f bombs and stuff. I had the ability to separate it and I love those videos where he was like, uh, you know, like talking, they're called truth injections. They were all over YouTube and it's important to bring up also because uh, everyone does that now. Everyone has a Patreon. Everyone has like a, a, a .com. Everyone has like a social media thing, uh, an account where like they have a membership thing and Ultimate Warrior, even in the nineties had like a membership thing. He was one of those guys who early adopter of, that type of technology it just it just it kind of didn't work out with him because he was spewing a lot of crazy shit that people saw and then like but uh it was kind of ahead of its time if you just look at it like that because uh, he was you know going in the business for himself as the warrior but anyway so like the 2010 2011 2012 shoot interviews slash motivational things where he was like go out there and kick your own ass man i like that stuff they showed it on the dark side because obviously the creators um, they remember it, you know, they got, they, all they had to do was just rip it. Um, so he basically, it, I don't know in the 2012, he looked okay. Uh, the civil suit finalized with WWE. They, um, he lost. Uh, so, so from 2010 to 2014, he's making these videos. And then I know her, we find out that he's going to come back to WWE and get, celebrated at the hall of fame and which was like unthinkable at the time uh so both documentaries obviously talked about it because it's a huge point it's like the end chapter well you know it's like the bookend of the of his his personal life so 2014 remember when this happened when uh when did you find out that ultimate warrior was coming back uh was that big of a deal to you to me because you said you didn't really know much about him until 2005 so it was kind of it was kind of different for you so what was your take on it it was after all, after all those videos mm. um, that he was putting out, you know, talking about Hogan because this was at the time when Hogan was, um, you know, hosting WrestleMania and they, they, they kept on putting like Hulk Hogan's face on stuff. And, you know, I know he had like a really bad relationship with Vince. I didn't know. I don't know if you were planning on bringing up his initial, um, termination from wwe i thought that would have been yeah i mean that's that's a, another big thing was 91 to 92 his marriage dissolves and his also his relationship with wwf and vince dissolves it comes back in 96 then you know but then uh yeah that's important too yeah all right uh so 96 when he came back uh he know vince uh vince mcmahon fires him for no showing events and the excuse or like the reason behind it because i mean i was like a big part of both yeah 
Absolutely. Again, there's just these two fucking documentaries. I'm trying to fucking balancing them. Um, so with the A&E one, he had the father figure uh, theme going on with Vince. Of course, uh, Jim Helwig's father left, we mentioned, when he was a kid, when he was 11 or 12. So he was always, that's always something growing up, uh, you know, the, these strange relationships with immediate family. Um, yeah, of course, you don't see someone, you don't, you hate them or whatever. Like you say, like, you don't want to, you know, but you have this, uh, this, this, this ideal of a closure that um, it's an, it's an idyllic closure thing that uh, you hold on to, even though you have this, you have this, um, these feelings of like sadness and anger and like what ifs. Uh, and then when the man, the man dies, his, his father dies. Um, he never had that closure. Um, it might fuck up the man's head for for a couple of days. He might miss a, a goddamn spot show in Cleveland. But Vince, still to this day, in this documentary, the same in 2005, the same in 96, he had he didn't talk he didn't talk to him in 10 years. Well, someone who has a, uh, who has a strange relationships, you don't talk to someone for 30 goddamn years, but it's still your father and like other people, you know, you yeah. have these relationships. Yeah, Vince should probably know about that because it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, his father. They, they gloss over that, but like his fault, his like Vincent, like Jay, Jay McMahon wasn't really in his life. Like they, they started having a relationship, like when I believe like Vince was like in his thirties. Yeah, in the seventies. And when he started towards, like him. the end, end of his like the last couple decades of his father's life. So that should have probably been um. Yeah, so that's interesting you brought that up. Like, you think that he would have been compassionate on that level. Yeah, but also um, Vince, uh, Vince McMahon Jr., the one we know, uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, his version of bonding with his father was to take his business and take it to a level that he never, that his father never even dreamt of. It was kind of like a fuck you thing. So, you know, maybe he doesn't see it that way, Vince McMahon, or he does, he just doesn't bring it up. Uh, but the dark side didn't bring it either. Even though they they weren't tied with WWE, they didn't really acknowledge that whole Vince McMahon angle at all. So, uh, of course, the A&E one wasn't going to bring up anything negative towards Vince. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, no, that's a huge thing. Again, there's so many, there's a lot of themes in this, but the um, I still can't believe that like they still say that it's because he no showed the the event and they don't believe him that he was it was a bereavement thing like. They, oh, that's not an excuse. Like they, they're still on that. And the same thing from 2005. I couldn't wait to fire Jim. He said the same thing in the A and E one after '91 uh, SummerSlam when uh, Jim Helwig uh, sent the letter and did the held up, quote unquote, you know, held up Vince McMahon before SummerSlam '91. Yeah. Uh, so Vince McMahon recorded this in the past year, and he still feels the same way no matter what um the dark side one uh had a cool insight on the 91 uh summer slam um his first wife um reveals that he she knew about it like he asked for her uh advice on it uh obviously they were you know they were together like 10 years and stuff and uh they were together for another five years as like you know friends they probably still had business things together and stuff um so she knew about it and she said oh this isn't going to end well um but you know he did it i mean it's so 
he still had many opportunities to come back. Like in 96, he had an opportunity. In 92, he came back. So I don't think it's that big of a deal that he held him up. It's just that it, in the long run, it looked bad. But uh, if, he, if, he wasn't, if he didn't get caught with the steroids in 92, uh, who knows what would happen. He could have been there up until you know the 90s. So I think in hindsight, it looks different. It's bad. But yeah, that's a big deal. Um, so in 2014, of course, it's a big deal that he came back. Um, I didn't expect it. Um, watching those videos, 2011, 2012, him saying crazy shit. Uh, I think he said stuff about Vince too. Uh, there was hours and hours of this where he, when he was talking about uh, Terry, you wanted me to have sex with your wife. And they, they crazy stuff like that. And, um, you know, other, other people said the same thing about Hogan. Um, but let me, I'm going to go back into the week of WrestleMania 2014. Um, it felt weird. It did. It felt very weird. Um, like they had all this stuff ready. They're going to do it. The, the DVD was going to come out. Um, they announced that he was going to, you know, be in all the games in the future, which was a big deal. And I was watching the Hall of Fame speech. That was crazy. But he looked bad. Like he looked different. He looked uh, like weak. Um. People were talking about that too, like how he looked. Um, and then you had the moment on Raw. I think that could have been the last time I got like kind of like teary eyed at a wrestling event. I was watching, I'm like, yeah, despite all the shit that I saw in the last 10 years at that point. Um, I think because I can go back and remember like early 90s watching this stuff. Uh, I think it's the same thing with when people uh, remember Yankee games, like when they were watching Mickey Mantle, and then you find out the stuff that he did later on, but you still remember the 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 idea of this this person um and of course you have the what he says like every man will breathe his last breath every man's heart will beat its last beat you know i'm ultimate warrior and all that that you know and 12 hours later uh he has a heart attack massive heart attack and the public finds out uh tuesday night going into wednesday so i'm there uh, it was actually the first week of April of 2014. So uh, for me personally, there was a lot of stuff going on. I was in a good mood. Things were going good. And I'm on Facebook and I see someone, um, someone I grew up with. Uh, he's still, he's a listener. Um, he puts on Facebook, he, you know, he's a lifelong wrestling fan too. And he's like, oh man, I, oh, I can't believe this Ultimate Warrior. And I was like, what? Then I look at it and I go, oh my God. I wasn't worried, you know, he's dead. Like a day earlier, he was on Raw. That has to be one of the weirdest things in like pro wrestling, right? Like he has his comeback thing. He's getting all these like tribute. And it's like, you know, coming back, homecoming. And then less than a day later, uh, you know, the man is gone. Yeah, is, it seems so crazy. And then like they have all this whole, the always believe logo ready. Like this whole, like, he, did he know or something like that? Because then we didn't even talk about how, like, his older male, his father died in his 50s and his grandfather died in his 50s. So there was this ticking clock theme that they were talking about in the docu, too, both of them. Um, but how crazy is that? This whole three day period, you know, for this, for this uh, warrior. Yeah. Um, well, you bring up Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle kind of had like the same type of thing where, 
Yeah, his family, like his father died like really young, like in his fifties. And he figured he would have probably died. No, actually, I think his father died like in his thirties. So I think he, you know, it's always this like feeling like the Grim Reaper is like, you know, over you. And the interesting thing about Jim Helwig is that like his mom had to tell him like, yeah, your grandfather died and your father died, you know, because his father wasn't in his life. But I do remember it was, I watched the Hall of Fame induction. um, And then, you know, two nights after that, it was the Raw. And I just remember him coming down into the ring and he was talking and it was like, he, he seemed like he was like out of breath. Like if you ever seen, I think it was like WrestleMania 7 or WrestleMania 8 when he has to run down and help Hulk Hogan. And it was like a long ass yeah. way from like the entrance, but he was running like full speed. It felt like he did that on the way to the ring, but he was just casually walking down the ramp. And then every breath he was, you know, it, everything he said, it seemed like he was out of breath. And then he did die, you know, not too far after, like literally like the next day. And, you know, the thing I, I got from it at the time, I was like, you know, well, at least he got his um, roses while he was here to smell them. Like it wasn't a couple years ago, um, Macho Man got into the Hall of Fame and it was literally, it, it was like seven years after he passed away. Um, and he never got to step into a WWE, WWE ring after he left in 1993 or 1994, whenever he left. Um, so it's cool that Ultimate Warrior came back and he got his his day in the sun. Unfortunately, it wasn't too, he didn't get to enjoy it for too long after that. Yeah, so that happened in 2014 and immediately, um, you know, because the theme of uh, of WrestleMania, what was this, 30? Yeah, WrestleMania 30 was WWE Network launched. That was the launch of WWE Network for that WrestleMania. So they had um, cameras following Warrior constantly in the lead up to it. So there's like all this footage. Uh, you have him, you know, people always say that uh, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man never made amends, but Hulk Hogan claims they did. Well, they had this on camera. They straight up have uh, Hulk Hogan like being like awkward, like, hey, man, hey, how you doing? And like um, Warrior like actively knowing, you know, actively uh, trying to make these closures. Like I said before, he didn't have the closure with his father. A lot of people who have anxiety and like separation anxiety issues, there's closures a big deal. And he had closure with uh, Hulk Hogan in the A&E one. They show it because it's WWE footage. Then you had Dark Side. You had you know, of course, Jake the Snake getting his shit, and he's like, you know, I was gonna knock him out, man. Like, was that necessary for him to say? But of course, he said it. But I was gonna knock him out, man. I had the quarters in in the sock, man. I was gonna knock him out, and um, he disarmed me, man. And he said that he did the same thing with him, which you you, know, you you can believe because he did. You have footage of him doing it. You know, it's there. Um, the WWE has him with Jake the Snake making amends, um, which is like crazy. Like that's that's why I mean like how how crazy it is. Like the mission was to make amends and you know have his moment in the ring, talk to the fans one last time in like this voice, not the voice at UConn saying queering ain't working, man. But you had this moment where he's just like you know you can look at it objectively and just be like oh that's like inspirational and stuff and separate it from 
the other rhetoric that we that I had seen the prior decade. Um, but they had like the, the mask ready. They had the shirts always believe you know, that they had that slogan ready. Uh, every, Vince McMahon and uh, Shane and uh, Shane was the, even back then he was like the guy, he had his kids with them with, uh, with Helwig's kids. And like, you're, he's home. You're finally home. Uh, Warriors finally home. And so back then um, they had TV on Fridays, I think. Yeah. So they had like SmackDown on Friday. So they had this whole package ready for um, for Warrior on the next SmackDown because uh, it was it wasn't live, and they soon after that they even mentioned that they're going to have like the Warrior Award. Um, everything was like they, the DVD was coming out that I have over here, and it was all like the same logo and template and like it was like ready to go. Um, and even back then, you saw Dana Warrior and his daughters at the time like in the forefront like he wanted them to be part of something like he wanted his family to go on uh he didn't know right maybe the next day but when he was gone uh they would have the same warrior um brand and they could have their own you know launching pad you know they can launch launch their own selves off of the ultimate warrior and that's what i got from the a and e documentary where uh it starts off and they show like his daughter's like working out you know like you know talking um do, doing the warrior verbiage uh so i don't i'm not surprised if in a couple of years you see his daughters and wwe you know you, that's what you got from it too right them getting ready or in some capacity not even wrestling just like being like a brand yeah love the door open exactly so that's what I saw from that. Um, you know, that's the A&E one. Um, the dark side one kind of left me very bummed out how it ended. Um, I didn't like it. This is like the rare time where I actually preferred the A&E one. I, 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 I preferred the WWE A&E one over the dark side one. It felt kind of, I don't know, like just as a documentary, it felt... Um, short like you know i like the dark side better visually no i just think people were a lot more able to be a lot more honest about him um not in like a negative way but they you know in the a and e one it's like we've railroaded him between like 1992 and 2014 we basically like railroaded him and drug his you know name through mud you know some obviously he brought upon himself but actually they drug him through the mud whereas the dark side of the ring it kind of like was like yeah he was this way and he he was that way and Da, 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 and it painted like a picture so that at the end in 2014 like you know that's why I wanted to talk about the Jake the Snake thing where you know in 1992 he goes into this whole thing and he writes this whole letter to Vince you know saying he deserves as much as Hulk Hogan um, and, and the thing about that is like Vince 
you know, response to him is like, yeah, but you're not Hulk Hogan. And, you know, the reaction I have towards that is like, okay, well, if he isn't worth as much as Hulk Hogan, then why did you, why are you trying, if Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan and he's still marketable and he's still the top star in your business, then why were you by your own admission trying to make a new Hulk Hogan? And I'm thinking like in Warriors, eyes, it was like, if I'm going to be the new Hulk Hogan, then I should be compensated as if I'm Hulk Hogan, which is fair. And obviously in Vince McMahon's eyes, you know, that's you playing hardball. But part of that was that, you know, in him doing, and that's why I like the part with Jake the Snake where he's saying like, you know, yeah, I understand like he had to do what he had to do for himself, but it was extremely selfish because it cost me like a run with the title. And it's something that he held on for so many years up until the 2014 Hall of Fame induction where he, you know, he has like a roll of quarters and he's ready to like mm. start beating on him. And he walks up to him and he apologizes for that very instant. It's like, you know, I know I cost you, but I wanted you to know that like, I love you. And like, I'm sorry for where I was back then. And I think the dark side of the ring painted the fact, you know, painted his his turn in you know as a person before he died better than the a and e personally i love the uh so the, the the best parts um so for the dark side i i again you could tell the same story but the way they do it they're always going to do it with their own style you know they're all tours like they, they have this style that you just engrosses you uh like you know the reenactments um, you know, the, the way they, they sprinkle in different personal information, it's not just a straight up, uh, like the a one is a straight up standard, like born here, then this, then this, then this, I, I'm, I'm tired of that. This, you find out about him as like a teen later on, like in the, the second commercial after the, the first or second commercial. And it's just the way they do it. It's engrossing and, uh, vibe wise and style wise. It's always like, you know, whatever. I love it. Um, well, with there's something else I want to say. Okay, so the good thing, because you we had I know it's been kind of confusing, but we had to talk about both documentaries that came out in days apart. A very uh, positive thing that came from this. Okay, so uh, initially A and E was going to air this May 30th, and Dark Side say they aired it no matter what it was May 27th. In actuality, A and E aired last week prior to the Dark Side. Uh, because there was rumblings, there were fear, like, all right, let's get ours out there first before uh, the dark side one, because it's going to be most definitely negative in tone, uh, more negative in tone, if anything. Um, but then Dana Warrior, uh, you know, she had a lot to say about the dark side documentary. And did you see that the dark side guys, they teamed up with a LGBTQA, you know, plus organization? So, um, so of course, one of the dark moments in um, Jim Helwig's Warriors career was the queering. Queering doesn't work. You know, like the anti-gay uh, rhetoric he was saying at the colleges. So they have a T-shirt and it's called uh, Smut and Filth because Dana Warrior uh, 
described their version of Warrior as just simply smut and filth. You didn't see that, that they're selling it on pro wrestling tees? Mm. Sorry, so, so now you buy the t-shirt and all the fun, uh, proceeds go to LGBTQ, you know, a foundation. That's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. So there you go. They work together on that. Um, so that's the great thing about um, the conversation on, on, on Twitter and social media um, that they turned in less than 24 hours they had this thing going up there on pro wrestling tees that you can buy and um you know they turned a negative into a positive and i like that so the, you know they, they ended they began at the same point the end at the at the same point uh there could be another documentary on ultimate warrior where it could be completely different i think the themes in the a e one they were like strong they they stuck to it more um the dark side again both great both you know, I got kind of the same vibe from both of them. I just think that uh, A&E stuck to what they're, where they wanted to go with it. They, they, they stuck with that theme of um, the insecure kid, you know, uh, alienated from like the brotherhood or the fraternity, not having a father figure, uh, which caused him. To, uh, but like, they didn't touch on the things that they did touch on dark side, which would have helped it. So I think it's important to watch them both. And, you know, which I did, I watched them in a, in, in a row. So a lot of this shit is jumbled up in me. Um, but yeah, same, same with Hulk Hogan. Um, the man I don't like, uh, but I can try and separate, um, try and separate it. And then remember watching, you know, wrestling and, you know, that's that thing you got to do with, you got to separate uh, the public figure from, I don't know, it's very, you know, Ultimate Warrior, he, he dual, 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 dual uh, personality. Uh, you had the character you saw growing up. Then you had this second act warrior who seems like a real, uh, someone I don't want to know. But then I have the memories as a kid and, you know, it's very similar to Hulk Hogan and, uh, Hulk Hogan was in it once in, in the any one, right? So he got in one. So that's the thing I got to struggle with by watching all this wrestling stuff. So, because a lot of these guys, Jake is saying included, he's he's inspiring, you know, um, the DDP Dallas, um, the documentary about him, him and Scott Hall uh, turning their lives around. It's inspiring. That doesn't, you know, I'm not going to just go back and say like Jake the snake, you know, he could have been fucking up. And that's why warrior said something in 91. Uh, but then at the same time, warrior obviously was going through some stuff, failed marriage. It's complicated guys, complicated characters. And that's why it's not just me watching ma old matches, liking it. It's the people behind these characters that are so uh, interesting and so like complicated and like dark. And uh, it's been three years of dark side and, uh, the A and E one was a nice little treat. Um, I think um, I'm not gonna say again. I think I said A and E was better. We're not better, but stronger. Yeah, I think well, you have to watch them both together. That's my final thoughts on that one. All right, final thoughts. Episode fifty four. Mike, what you got? All right, um, a gloomy day. A gloomy day. Um, I was riding high on Wednesday night with the Knicks. Um, I think it was a learning lesson where we enjoyed Wednesday. Okay. Let's, uh, the quote, the wolf, 
uh, from Pulp Fiction. Let's not start sucking each other just like quite soon because we still got the more games to go. But I think we got that. We needed that. We needed game two. Um, just that, you know, that that feeling was, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of it was a great release as a fan. Um, uh, game three. Uh, I'm not going to say like a wake up call, but um, I think it's, uh, you know, it's only, we're only going to be in uh, game four. Uh, series isn't over. Um, I think they still have the tools. Uh, Derek Rose is always, he's, he's my guy. Um, everyone else needs to come back, show up. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm confident that uh, we'll be, still be competitive in the series and, um, the Yankees, you know, we get back into it. I'll start watching it more. It's just that's uh, it's hard to keep up with all this. It's hard to keep up with it. Um, Memorial Day weekend. It's a time of like you know, remember a remembrance of um, of you know. A lot of people don't know why they celebrate Memorial Day, or it's just something you celebrate. Um, but we have uh, something else we talked about was the anniversary of George Floyd. Um, I think I'm on the same page with Shug, but uh, his thoughts on it. Um, I just think it's important to remember some things. Um, but you can't forget, there's like so many things going on. You have to remember, you have to remember them all. Uh, but I think Shug in his, it, what he had to say is very similar to what, uh, how I feel on, on the, on the George Floyd. Um, but uh, Chuck, did you get to say everything you wanted to say with uh, George Floyd? Because we, we touched on it uh, earlier. Um, so I have your final thoughts. Yeah. Um. You know, I just I just want like real actual legislation to come from it because I've seen the president, I've seen the speaker of the house, um, just use it as like, yeah, he, you know, he, he sacrificed. I'm like, he didn't sacrifice. He was going to the store and he was killed by a police officer. And it's a story that is all too familiar in American society. And there's no change to it. Like I said, you got the anti-lynching bill that's been on from even before the Tulsa riot. I mean, not even Tulsa, right? The Tulsa race massacre um, in 1921. This bill has been on, you know, been changed over and not been passed since 1918. And the Tulsa massacre happened in 1921. Um, There's a documentary I'm going to watch actually tomorrow, Sunday night on CNN, I believe. Um... LeBron James and Mar- Ma- Maverick Carter are executive producing it, so I'm going to watch that. And Russell Westbrook has one on History Channel. I think that's on Tuesday. Hmm, I heard about that, yeah. So I'm going to watch both of those because it's a story. Um, there was an interesting article on the New York Times where actually, if you, you open it up virtually, it's free because, you know, usually... New York Times is like behind a paywall, but you could go in there and it's a virtual tour of Greenwood where all of these black businesses were. And it just shows like the vibrant community that it was. Black Wall Street, they called it, right? Exactly. And, you know, so so 
possibly if um, Mike watches that, watches one, if not both of those things as well, maybe we could talk about that in depth next week. Um, but going back to George Floyd, you got this George Floyd policing bill. Um, stuff like that needs to be passed. I don't need any more symbolism. Um, you know, us as black men, we shouldn't, us as black people in general, we shouldn't be viewed as threats and police need to start, you know, um, you know, the inherent biases and all the different systematic, um, racism that exists not only in policing, but also all over the country, you know, a lot of our stuff needs to be eradicated and we need our politicians to, to step up and, you know, start handling their business. Um, so that it's fair for all of us. And, I'm, you know, that's all I have to say about that. Next, I'm still hopeful. And even if we don't make it far, like, listen, this is the beauty of sports, especially with this New York Knicks team. They had us winning 22 games. They had us, some, some had us winning like 13 games a season and playing, you know, you know, tanking again. So we're playing with house money. You know, if we don't go past this round, like it will suck, but it's nothing to be ashamed of. But I have a lot of faith in this team. I've watched every single game this season. And, you know, I think last night, if you really look at it in a vacuum, like the Yankees, I mean, the Knicks were you were, would do for a stinker at some point. And I hope they use it as a moment to refocus and, and, you know, basically get the, 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 the wheels back under us because I don't think Julius Randle is this bad. I don't think RJ Barrett is this bad, but I'm not going to use this series as an indictment to say like everything they've done this season and the improvement they've made, you know, is a fluke. I think we, we, we still got a long way to go. I don't know what the schedule is past Wednesday, but we got the game tomorrow, which would have been yesterday um, as we release this. And then we have game five back at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday. Another huge thing is uh, MSG has said that if we go forward into the second round or later in the playoffs, all home games will only be sold exclusively to vaccinated fans. So me and Mike, if we could pony up the money, we'd be able to go. But a lot of people have been critical of it because, you know, people feel like, oh, like it's, it's um, you know, basically forcing people if they want to see the next play to get vaccinated but you know that's that, that if you know we've all lived through 2020 together as a matter of fact I even forgot that George Floyd was killed the day after my birthday because oh, I feel like last year he kind of like glossed over stuff so I, I didn't even realize that like the next day that happened it was only till this this year when I was like you know, celebrating my birthday one day and then the next day it's like, yeah, this, you know, you're seeing all these tributes to George Floyd again. I was like, wow. So we've all been through it. And it's, it's been clearly evident that if you want to enjoy the things that you enjoyed before COVID-19, 
you're gonna have to get vaccinated. If you don't want to, then fuck it. You gotta watch the game at home. That's that, that's the long and short of it. And it's actually a lot more financially feasible for MSG to only allow vaccinated people because you gotta remember, like for uh unvaccinated section, they had to like block off seats for social distancing. You had to pay money for like rapid tests and, you know, once you enter the arena and stuff like that and extra security guards or extra personnel for that. So now if you only allow vaccinated people in, all these people have to do is show their um, vaccination card and, you know, you're in. So, and not only that, but if you could have more and more people into MSG, the, the bigger the home crowd advantage, because it's been... It's been really, really loud in the games that we played. Um, so I'm hoping that when we go back on Wednesday, you know, we'd be tied and trying to play for, you know, a 3-2 lead. And hopefully, I don't know if the game after that is Friday or after we record the next episode, but we'll see where we are from there. Um, I don't got nothing else to say about the Yankees. Uh, Ultimate Warrior wasn't really... Um, I didn't really know much about him. The first time I actually seen him wrestle was I was watching WrestleMania 12 and I had that match with Triple H and it was just astounding to see Triple H in a squash match, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I know he was, you know, finding out after he died that he was very controversial for right wing stuff. You know, it's disheartening, but I did see the type of person he was when he was with WWE um you know showed like he you know pictures of him with fans young fans and embracing fans and then at the end of his life he you know he seemed like he made amends so it's interesting i think next week is mick foley so we'll talk about that and this has been episode 54 of sugar me the mooney and thank you guys for joining us so till next week Shug me the Mooney, Shug me the Mooney, Shug me the Mooney.